The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages. I am Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Now, we usually talk about guns, ammo, accessories, any kinds of uh, weapons, things like that, politics. And today, I'm going to get into something that's a little off the beaten path. I just think I was reading an article and heard somebody speaking, and I wish I could remember the name of who this guy who this guy was, but he posed an idea that I thought was actually fascinating. Everybody knows that, or everybody assumes, that the left is trying to defund the police. That seems to be their agenda. They want to, you know, to get less police officers because they think they're being discriminatory. They're, uh, you know, against justice. They're not trained properly. Whatever their excuse is, they want to eliminate police officers. But it seems like most of the police officers they want to eliminate are local police officers. Your county police officer, your municipality, your city you know, your township, they want to eliminate those police officers because those police officers are not trained properly. They tend to be prejudiced. They don't know what they're doing. And you got to figure, of all the law enforcement people, most of us common people know it's going to be your local police officer. If you know a police officer, he probably works for the county or the city that you're in or a city nearby. The guy who's at the YMCA, the guy who's at the church, the guy that you play tennis with or whatever, the cop that's doing that is a local police officer. And those are the ones that they want to eliminate. That's what they always push for. The, the, the local townships need better training. They have to get better people. And they want you to – and these police officers are the ones that have the closest relationships with people in the towns, in the counties – these are the ones also that you can vote out very easily in a local election. If you want to eliminate a sheriff's department or deputies, you eliminate that sheriff, you start over. It's very tightly controlled, and most regular people have control over this. And they, those are the ones that they want to eliminate. Why? Because they don't have control over those police officers. Those are controlled by the local municipalities. They have control over those police officers. And for... The liberals to say they want to defund police officers and then turn around in that same stroke and hire 40,000 armed IRS agents, that doesn't seem like it's diminishing police officers in any way. They just added an entire national police force with guns to the national budget. Now, how is that eliminating police officers? How is that cutting down on law enforcement? How is that controlling cops any better than it does now? Your local police officers are the ones you interact with the most. They're the people who know you. They know your neighbors. If they're given an order to do something that they feel is not right, chances are they're going to stop and say, you know what, I'm not just going to follow orders and do something I know is wrong. Plus, because they live in the city. They live in the town. They live in that county. They know people there. They have family there. But when the federal government brings in police officers from other states that are national police officers, they don't have that kind of ties and connections to the community. So it's much easier for them to control national police officers, the FBI, the Department of Justice. All these guys are they are turning around and they're turning their power into political power. They're prosecuting their political opponents. They're going after... People who local police officers would know better than to do that. They would not try and prosecute political opponents because they know that would end up being wrong. They'd get voted out. But with a national police force, you have this, you know, control at the federal level that they're trying to increase. That's why they want to hire more FBI agents. They want to hire more armed agents and any agency they can get guns into their hands. Why? Because they have control over those people. Those people don't have a connection with the communities that they're usually in. That's why a lot of places when you get hired on with a federal agency, you never work in the city you're originally from at first. They station you somewhere else first because they don't want you to have any kind of association with any of the people there. And this sounds like they're trying to eliminate local police and bring it into a centralized government Control. Okay, just a thought for the day. I don't know if that really makes any sense. It may be a little conspiracy theorized or something like that, but it seems like someone who's trying to eliminate police officers, why would they hire 40,000 armed federal officers?
doesn't seem like it's in line with what they're saying on one hand and doing on the other. But I'll find out who said it, and I'll get more on that when I get a chance. But today, okay, now we'll get back to the gun stuff because everybody needs guns, especially right now. Ammo prices are the lowest they've been in almost four years. They have come down to the point where you can buy a case of two two three or five five six for under four hundred dollars. You can buy a case of nine millimeter for about two twenty five. So this stuff is coming down. It's not quite as low as it was in twenty nineteen. AR fifteen pistols. I saw them for three hundred and fifty dollars advertised online the other day. Handguns of all types, semi automatic revolvers, all at some of the lowest prices ever. So if you're looking to add, if you're looking to start building, now is the time to start looking. The prices are as low as they've been, like I say, in four years. And any gun you get, you're going to want to get accessories for it. You're going to want to get ammo for it. Anything semi-automatic, you want to get get extra mags for it. So the fact that the weapons are so cheap to start with gives you plenty of room to buy all these accessories you want. Now, people ask me all the time, what kind of gun should I get? I'm going to build a basic, like, let's say that you have a couple, three, four thousand dollars to invest in your arsenal, your personal arsenal, and you want to do this. You decided you want to become a gun owner. You want to become trained in how to use a weapon. You want to become your own first responder. What do you need to get started? And I'm going to start with the number one thing any household should probably have would be a handgun. Now, there's a variety of different types depending on your training level, your comfort level with weapons would determine what you want to get. If you don't feel very comfortable with weapons, you don't understand how semi-automatics work or the difference between an automatic and a semi-automatic, then stick to a revolver. A revolver is probably the easiest, simplest type of handgun to have. It's easy to train to use it in the right caliber. It can be just as accurate as anything else. And when you get one, you want to get a holster for it. You want to get ammo for it. Those are the two things you'll need for a revolver to start with. Now, if you get a little more advanced and want to be a little better prepared, you can get what's called a speed loader for those. Now, a speed loader is something that holds five, six, seven, eight rounds, whatever your weapon holds, and will line up the bullets with the cylinder when the cylinder swings out of a revolver to reload it much more quickly. You put it in, you give it a quarter turn or an eighth of a turn, boom, it drops the shells into the to the cylinder, and you're reloaded and ready to go once you've ejected the old shells. Very simple, very straightforward. Or you can just pop the old ones out, load the new ones by hand. Very simple to do, very easy. If you don't have a loader or decide you don't want one, you can just drop the bullets in with your fingers. Not a big deal. And to fire it, you pull the trigger. That's all there is to it. The only safety on this gun is your brain and your hands. That's what you have to be aware of. Assume it's always loaded. Follow the four rules of gun safety. But this, you could stick in a holster, put it in a drawer loaded, and it would be ready to go without fail. And if by some rare chance, and I say rare chance because most modern ammunition is so reliable nowadays, misfires are extremely unusual, highly unlikely. But you get a misfire in a revolver, what do you do? You pull the trigger again. It's that simple. Pull it once, it goes click, doesn't go boom, pull the trigger again, you're on a fresh round. So this is the most basic form of self-defense that you can have is a, is a revolver, a double-action revolver. Very simple to use, very easy to learn how to clean, very easy to reload, very easy to unload. All these things can be had at a fairly reasonable price, especially right now. Like I said, gun Prices are at the lowest I've seen in almost four years now. Everybody has guns on sale. Now, this may change if there's some sort of, I'll say, political event that causes things to go a different way. But right now, apparently, the powers to be are not coming after the guns at the moment. Right now, they're kind of sitting on the sidelines and just watching things go by. They're not trying to push any type of new gun control in as far as on a federal level. Well, later we'll get to California and their ridiculous gun laws. But anyway, so next up, side, you know what? You decide, you know what? I think this is going to become a hobby of mine. I think I want to become more proficient with a little more complicated weapon. I want a semi-automatic. Okay, that's fine too. Now, when you get a semi-automatic, there's something you should consider. 
based on your training level? Do you know how to function one flawlessly? Do you know what to ha- what to do if you fire, pull the trigger, fire, and the firing pin hits the cartridge and nothing happens to it? Do you know how to cycle the weapon, get a fresh round in there as quickly as possible, and get off another shot? Do you understand how the safeties work, safety mechanisms work on all semi-automatics? If you do, then this would be your first choice for a handgun. This would be your number one pick for your handgun, which is going to be the first weapon that you should have in your home defense or shooters, your enthusiastic shooters collection. Let's put it that way. And this gun requires a little more time to get to know. Controls are a little different on them. It's not like a revolver where the cylinder swings out, you load the bullets, and you pull the trigger. Here you have to load a magazine, usually a detachable magazine. There are a few weapons that have a non-detachable magazine, but they're fairly rare. But most of them have a detachable magazine you load, put the magazine in the gun, rack the slide back, and chamber the first round. Now you have one bullet in the chamber, and you have a magazine full of your additional rounds. When you fire that first round, the slide's going to come back, eject the fired round, pick up a fresh round, and put it into the chamber. So for this reason, the fact that it feeds out of a box magazine means you should have several magazines available to you, and because they are not flawless. In fact, a lot of misfirings, or not, uh, yeah, misfirings, or you know. Failure to fires are due to poor magazines. That's probably the number one cause of that. Used to be poor ammo, but most of the ammo now is pretty top-notch, and it's rare to find any flaws with manufactured ammo. Now, if you're getting remanufactured or reloaded ammo, that's a different story, and that depends on the manufacturer. But So you've got this semi-automatic handgun. That's going to be your primary defense weapon in your house. Now, there's several things you need with that. You're going to need ammo, of course. I recommend at least having 500 rounds of ammo for any gun that you plan to use for self-defense. If you've ever played a video game, you know why. How often do you reload in that video game when something, when the stuff hits the fan, you have to be able to reload quickly, fire quickly and accurately, and have plenty of ammo to clear your way out of a situation. So you've got your ammo. Now you're going to need a holster either to carry it in or to store it in. Now, if this gun is going to sit in a nightstand and not move, it can be a little bit bigger. You can get one that fits your hand a lot better than if you want something you're going to carry. Because having a weapon to carry, it's going to be a little smaller, a little lighter perhaps. But also you have to be aware of your safety features. Because most people know certain weapons like, uh, you know, you've got the Glock is probably one of the most popular semi-automatic weapon. It has no distinct manual safety that you take on and off. It has built-in safeties, assuming you know to keep your finger off the trigger and not pull the trigger until you're up on target. So that's something to consider, too. If you're going to get a gun, if you have kids in the house, if you have kids in the house, you probably would like to have a manual safety that's one extra step before you're able to fire the gun by pulling the trigger. Make sure that safety is clicked off before using it or clicked on if it's going to be stored in a drawer or in a box. If you have it locked up, that would be even better if you have kids in the house. But if you have kids in the house, they need to know it's there. And, you know, a lot of people say, oh, they don't need to know it's there. I don't want kids to know I have a gun. Well, if they don't and they find it without you there, what kind of situation is that going to put them in? Their curiosity will overcome Whatever maybe good sense they may have, if they haven't been told specifically by you to not touch it, that would be something you want to teach them. Let them touch it. Let them handle it. Empty, of course. If they're old enough, take them to the range. Teach them how to shoot. But make sure they have a rock-solid understanding that they do not touch that weapon when you are not there. You know, there's almost no circumstances where they would need to touch that weapon with you not being there. Maybe a few if in the event of invaders and somebody, a brother has to defend his little sister or something like that. It happens, but it's not a likely situation. So you have your semi-automatic gun. You have your 500 rounds of ammo. You're going to need something to put it in. Now, I can't tell you how many times working as a range safety officer, I see people come into the range shooting their gun and they take it out of the cardboard box that it came in. And Every time they take it to the range, it goes into that cardboard box and it comes out onto the range table and they shoot it. And that's fine. I mean, they get the practice in, but you know what? 
it would seem like if you have that, if you come that often to where your box looks ratty and torn and, you know, coming apart, buy a pistol case for it, buy a holster for it. Holster would be ideal because even in your house, you hear a noise at 3 in the morning, you're going to grab that gun and you're going to wander around the house. You're going to start looking. You're going to take your flashlight ideally first thing, start shining it in the corners, anywhere you heard the noise, see what's going on with that. But a holster would enable you to attach it to your person to be able to leave your hands free if you had to open doors, if you had to go find out where a child was in the house before continuing your search or something like that. Because if you've got kids, you may have to pull them to safety. You may have to take them by the arm, guide them where they need to go, and you need to have your hands free. That's another reason why I pick a handgun over shotguns or rifles for self-defense. Especially when you have somebody else in the house that you have to be concerned about, that you have to take responsibility for. Because you need at least one hand free to help them if they're small children. So that's something to be too. Or if you have somebody following you, you want to have one hand on them. If you're walking through a dark house, you want to be able to make sure you know where your other person is. So there's no confusion when it comes to, if it comes to the point if you have to use that gun. So you have a holster, you can put it on your side or carry it in the holster in a waistband, whatever, and have it covering the trigger so it's safer and also easier to carry. Ideally, Something will happen while you're still dressed and you have a belt on or have a waistband where you can attach a holster to and make it easier to use and be a little safer in its operation. If you don't, then still, a holster will keep you from putting your hand on the trigger prematurely until you remove it from the holster or the case to use the gun. Now, people ask me all the time, well, they say, I just keep the magazine in the drawer with the gun. I don't keep it loaded. Some people have the magazine in the gun and don't have the slide rack back where they don't have a round in the chamber. That's better, not as good as it needs to be necessarily. Um, it's There was a video out a couple of years ago, I think, and there was a store owner who was on the floor of a store being held at gunpoint. And you'll never believe what happened next. But I'll tell you in just a few minutes when we get back from these messages. Attention veterans with PTSD. If you can't sleep at night, listen to A Veteran's Place, hosted by Dr. Don Moeller, at 10 a.m. every Thursday, for your answer to sleeping, here on the Veterans Station, owned by a vet, with shows just for vets. AmericasWebRadio.com If you want the truth about politics, medicine, weapons, classic cars, and more, you'll want to tune in to America's Web Radio. You can listen to all of your favorite shows live at www.americaswebradio.com or on demand on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. That's www.americaswebradio.com. Are you a veteran of Desert Shield or Desert Storm? We do a show for you every Monday at 1 p.m. on veteran-owned americaswebradio.com. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back right before we left. I was telling you a story. Actually, it's not a story. Actually, it's a story. It's a tale. And I saw a video of this, so it actually happened. But there was a store owner being held at gunpoint. Him and I guess one of his workers, two guys behind the counter of their store, it looked like a liquor store, convenience store, some sort of small store that is that are usually high priority targets for most thieves. And anyway, this guy's on the floor and he manages to get his gun out from under the counter, unbeknownst to the the uh, perpetrator, and he pulls it out of the case or holster he had it in, and he did not have a bullet in the chamber. So he's sitting there trying to load the magazine and function the slide to load around into the gun when the perpetrator sees him and shoots him sitting there on the floor. Had the gun been loaded in condition one, he would have been able to shoot the perpetrator without having to fumble with it, without having to load it. Because you got to remember, when you're in an adrenaline-filled situation, your fine motor skills deteriorate. You get a bit of tunnel vision. You have trouble seeing things. You have trouble handling fine motor skills. They're hard to, hard to function things. So even if you know how to do it, if you're not trained to where it's almost to the point of instinct, 
you are going to have a delay that you don't need to have if you're in a situation where somebody's got you at gunpoint. You do not want to have to rack your slide if someone breaks into your store, points a gun in your face. You don't want to have to rack that slide if you get a chance to get your hand on your gun. You don't want to have to load that magazine if you get a chance to get your hands on your gun. And unfortunately, the guy did not survive. He was shot, and the other guy who was with him got shot and wounded, but not killed. But because had he had the gun loaded, ready to go, he could have removed it from the holster. He would have been ready to go. He would have got a a shot off at least, maybe more than one. He would have put himself at such an advantage in that situation. He would have had the drop on him, basically. Because by the time he started playing with it, the guy heard some commotion, went over there, saw what he was doing, and shot him right there because he saw him with the gun in his hand. And he had this gun in his hand, and he was unable to use it because it wasn't loaded. Someone asked me all the time, oh, is your gun loaded? I go, if my gun is not loaded, it's not a gun. It's a club. So let's let's consider that for a moment. If you have an unloaded weapon, you've got a club. Granted, you can load it and turn it into a gun, but until that happens... You're dealing with a projectile at best. You can throw it at somebody. You can hit somebody with it as, as a weapon. That's all it's good for at that point until it becomes loaded and in condi- condition one. So that was a really unfortunate story. I saw that video, parts of it, and it was very unfortunate that that guy put himself in that situation because he did not feel comfortable enough to leave his weapon loaded. Which is sad because, I mean, had he spent a little time at the range, had he taken a training class, it might have saved his life. So that's one thing I recommend, too. With any money you spend on firearms, if you're not trained, get some formal training. Or if you know somebody who's a an enthusiast and he's volunteering to train you or said he can give you some help in that area, take it. Now, start off slow. Go to the range. Stand with your feet. Shoulder width apart, hold both your hands out, shoot at the paper target. That would be step one. That's what you do first. That's how to just get used to firing the weapon, get used to your grip, your sight picture. All those things need to be done. Then you start moving into more advanced shooting techniques. For instance, one of the ones that I love to do is, depending on where you shoot, most places have a clip that you can have a a bar that holds a target. If you bring your own targets, you can staple paper plates onto them. Use those as multiple targets. So you have multiple points of aim when you're shooting at something. Put some paper plates, some big stickers, whatever, to give you multiple targets on that and change. Don't sit there and fire at the same target over and over and over again. Take two shots on each of the targets you just put up. Put two or three of them up there. Take two shots on each one and keep going until that gun is empty. Then practice a reload. You should have multiple magazines. Any gun that's considered a self-defense weapon, I would say you should have no less than six magazines for any weapon that you're using for self-defense. Some people will say three is a minimum. Now, three could be a minimum if you're carrying a weapon and you need extra ammo. You carry one magazine fully loaded in the weapon, and you can carry two extra magazines with you, and that's generally enough for a everyday carry situation. I like having an extra three magazines in case one goes bad because magazines do wear out. They go bad. Springs lose tension. And all of a sudden, you have a magazine that doesn't function correctly. Most of the time, magazines can be had relatively inexpensively. And it's worth having extras just in case. You know, you end up in a situation, natural disaster, where you have to fend for yourself or a few days, you want to be able to have those extra magazines loaded, ready to go, carry them with you, whatever you need. So now you've got your pistol, you've got your ammo, you've got your 500, 500 rounds of ammo, you've got your six magazines or your loaders for your revolver. That's step one in getting your home defense system ready. Training would be step two. First you need the supplies, then you go about taking action with the supplies. So... Look around right now, though, because, like I say, prices are as cheap as they've been. If you need recommendations, if you can find somebody who's an enthusiast, who's a friend of yours, that's the person you want to ask. Now, if you ask somebody and they tell you, oh, you need to buy this kind of gun, without looking at your hands or asking you what your skill level is and they recommend something without getting any input from you, ask somebody else. (laughs) Because 
I'll tell you right now, if they're recommending one particular brand to everybody they know and it's the one that they have, that's not what you need. You need somebody who's going to ask you what you're going to do with it, how you're going to carry it, where it's going to be stored. You need to know all these things before you make any kind of commitment to purchasing a weapon. And that will make all the difference in the world between getting something that's comfortable, easy for you to learn how to shoot, and that you become proficient with. Because proficiency is the number one thing you want with a weapon. Because you got to realize, this you're betting your life that this thing's going to function and you're going to be able to use it efficiently. That's what you're betting on. And in order to bet on that, you need to have some practice. You need to have some proficiency. You need to know how that weapon functions from top to bottom. And you need to make sure it functions. Now, as highly unlikely as it may be, there is a possibility that a brand new gun right out of the box will not work. It's happened before. It's not very common, but there's a chance. Just like with the ammo, factory ammunition. It is extremely unlikely to get a misfire these days, but it does happen. It can happen. I've had it happen. Now, if you're using remanufactured ammo, then your chances go up exponentially of there being a misfire or problem. Now, you can go for years without ever having a misfire, whether you use remanufactured or factory ammo. You can also go years without ever having a malfunction with a magazine or without ever having a malfunction on a weapon. But trust me, even the most reliable weapons in the world can have a problem. A load cannot be as strong as it should be. If you're not holding the gun just the right way, you could cause a misfire like that. And they call it limp wristing. If you're not holding the gun tight enough and holding it on target solidly enough, if your gun moves too much during recoil, that movement if you allow it to move too much, it can allow it to misfire. It won't feed the next round, won't eject the old round. You end up with a bit of a mess. But you need to be prepared for any of those situations. So get out there and shoot the gun. I will never carry a gun that I have not fired. And I mean fired like at least two boxes of ammo through it minimum. And here's another key. If you get into buying ammo, you're going to see you buy cases or half cases or whatever. And most of these are practice ammo. This is going to be ammunition that's uh, what they call full metal jacket, which doesn't expand. It doesn't have hollow points in it. It's not the best for self-defense because it tends to just push a little hole through whatever you're shooting at. Granted, having a full metal jacket bullet is better than having no bullets. But if you're going to buy a weapon to defend yourself, your family, your property with, get the right ammo for it. And you want to make sure that that specialty ammo will function in your weapon. So don't load it up with that and never fire a round of it. Fire a mag or two through the gun with the specialty ammo that you plan on carrying. Make sure it functions. Some guns, particularly semi-automatics, can be a little picky as to what ammo they like. Some like a full power load. Some won't function as well with hollow points because they get stuck on feed ramps. There are issues that need to be addressed before you get into the situation where you need to use the weapon. This is something you should always do. In fact, you should do that with almost anything, whether you buy a a new power tool, a chainsaw, read the instructions, look at it carefully, practice manipulating the controls so you know what you're doing. Same thing with the weapon. You need to know where the slide lock is. You need to know where the safety is. You need to know where the magazine drop is. You need to know where all these things are on the weapon so you can use it professionally and safely. And most people say, oh, I know how to use my gun. Yeah, do you? Have you reloaded while you're under pressure? Have you been firing at a target, have the slide lock back, drop the old bag and put a new bag in as quickly as possible, being smooth, functional, and not losing any time? If this is not something you practice, I recommend it highly. And where you load from makes a difference, too. If you just have the extra mag sitting on a table in front of you, then how is it going to be when it's in your pocket and you have to reach around for it? When you're at night, you're walking around your house because you heard glass breaking somewhere, and you walk around with your loaded gun with your extra mag in your pocket, you end up needing the extra mag. Can you get it? Can you index it? By index, I mean can you make sure the bullets are pointed in the right direction when you try and shove that magazine into the magwell of the gun? These are all things you need to do. Now, granted, if you do it right, you will have a magazine holster or magazine, I guess, a pouch along with your gun in a holster so you know you place the magazines in this in a certain position so you know when you pull them out you can reload quickly 
you can properly reload a semi-automatic handgun easily in less than two seconds. When you get good at it, you'll do it faster than that. When you practice at it, you'll be faster than that. And you can do this with empty magazines and an empty pistol in your house. You can have that magazine, put the gun in the holster with the slide lock back and the magazine in it, pull it out, drop the magazine, pull your fresh magazine out, put it in, drop the slide release. Now, unfortunately, it won't be as realistic because a lot of times when you slam home a full magazine, it will drop the slide for you, but not always. Every now and then you get a gun that will work. When you slam a magazine in, it can drop the slide, but most of the time you're going to have to either pull the slide release down or pull the slide back just enough to release the slide lock and let it go forward. These are all things you have to practice. It makes a difference. Practice makes perfect. So now you've got your handgun. It's sitting in your drawer. You've got at least two magazines full of self-defense ammo loaded in that weapon that you have tested. You have test-fired it. You know it functions in that gun. You know it's going to work every time like it's supposed to. You have your weapon in a holster. If you have extra magazines, you may have a couple of those in your nightstand drawer also. Then you say, okay, what's next? What if I get to this point, I get professional with my pistol, what do I want next on my list? Now, this is subjective. There are people who will say, you know, something other other than this, but I would say a shotgun would be your very next step in that evolution of what to have. A shotgun is a weapon that is devastating at close range, and it doesn't require as much precise aiming as does a handgun. So that's something to consider. Now, again, you have your shotgun. If you don't have the shells in it and you have to start thumbing them in as something happens, that's not where you want to be. Now, with a shotgun, you can leave it loaded without being racked. By the time you pull it out from under a bed or out of closet, you can rack it very quickly, faster than you can a semi-automatic handgun in most cases because you naturally hold your hands on the gun where you should be able to rack it, put a shell in the chamber, you probably you might lose a few fractions of a second doing that, pulling it out of a closet or un, under a bed, and you cycle the thing very quickly because it's more natural than trying to take your hands off the grip of your pistol and rack the slide. With a shotgun, especially a pump-action shotgun, you're going to be able to rack that action back quickly and easily. Now, a semi-automatic shotgun, that's a little different. You have to take your hand off the standard's firing position to be able to rack the action back on a semi-automatic shotgun. Double barrel shotgun, if it's not loaded, you have to pop it open, put the shells in, then put it back together, pop it back together and lock it closed. That takes a lot more time. Like I say, a semi, uh, pump action shotgun is probably one of the least expensive, most effective close range weapons you can buy. Easy to use once you learn how. Semi-automatic, same thing, very easy once you learn how. But the semi, the pump-action shotgun is a easy, effective weapon. It has less likely to malfunction from using bad ammunition as long as you learn how to use it. Don't try and rack it too fast or you're short-stroking it, and all of a sudden you get a jam in that chamber. And you're trying to put two shells in the chamber at once. Only one shell can occupy the chamber at a time. So this, again, this is learning your weapon. This is taking the time to become proficient with it. So keep that in mind when you're doing anything with weapons. You need to be trained. And then there's probably a zillion different kinds of shotgun ammunition that you can get. And it really depends on your situation as to how many people are in your house, how big of a piece of land you live on, how big your house is, how wide your hallways are, how many rooms you have in that house, how far does, if you have somebody else in your room with you, how close are they, how easily can you get a hold of them and keep them with you so you don't accidentally shoot the wrong person? And are you in a neighborhood where other houses are very close to you? If that's the case, you don't necessarily want to be shooting slugs or double-lot buckshot because that can go through plaster walls or drywall very easily. That's the kind of thing you have to know ahead of time. Now, if you have a bigger house and you're not so concerned about anybody else being in another room, buckshot is devastating. Now, buckshot, when I say that, it's usually nine pellets of about a thirty-three caliber, nine-pellet load. And it's usually at a pretty, a little higher pressure than standard shot that's considered bird shot or something like that, or even rabbit shot is a little bit bigger than those. Those are effective also though. Anything within 
20 to 30 feet, which is usually the extended range of most homes. Some may have a range of up to 50 feet if you're shooting down a long hallway. And that's usually your max range inside a domicile. Inside a house, you're going to have probably a 50-foot range will be about the most. There are bigger houses, longer hallways, things like that. All right, we're going to come back right after this. We'll get into more shotgun preparedness, and then we'll get into the third and final weapon that everybody should have in their personal arsenal. What will Victor say next? Find out every Tuesday at 1 p.m. on the On Point with Victor show, only on America's Web Radio. What do doctors talk about in doctors' lounges around the country? Find out on the Doctors' Lounge Show every Thursday at 8 a.m. on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Roger, I'm I'm going to throw you a curveball here. Go for it. I love curveballs. <laughs> I can't hit them, but I'll try. Well, it's one of those. It's actually a basketball, and and you got a big bat. So okay, let's see what we got. The one one area that I think people overlook in a situation, obviously, your adrenaline's going. Uh, you've you talked about your handgun. You've talked about losing fine motor skills. Yeah, but you know something, and and it. <laughs> It's illegal to practice, but uh, <laughs> but you need to know what to do, and that's while well, all of the things are happening, your mind's coming together. I've got to get my pistol. I have to get you know this, that, and the other. But you're going to make a phone call too. Ideally, if you have time, yes, you need to call nine one one. However, yeah. if there are people in your house and you. You don't want to make your call while you're waiting for them to come in and shoot you. Right. You know, I, I don't want to be on the phone making a phone call while I get shot in the head. <laughs> but at the same token, you can call 911, and that's why I'm saying it's like everything else, practice. Right, and right. Have your little speech down because you're going to be on the phone for seconds, not minutes. You're not going to strike up a conversation. Well, where are you from, did you say? Right, or have your phone on at least, have it online while you're doing whatever you need to do so you can talk to them, put it on speakerphone. You can talk while you're using your hands. You know, I have intruders in my house. I'm preparing my pistol. I don't know where they are in the house. I'm going to stay here until they come looking for me unless I hear them go after any of my family or I have to go get my daughter from upstairs. You know, I have to defend my six-year-old son and leave them on. You can leave them on speakerphone while you walk around or you can just leave the phone laying there in the room. Let them hear what's going on in the house. And I will meet you at the door, and I will be armed. Uh, yeah, you could say I am armed. Yeah. When you come to the house, if if the threat is still there, I will be hiding in, in the bedroom. I will have my family in there. You know, be careful. <laughs> but, you know, it's something you need to – you can't just be a blithering – you can't be a Biden – <laughs> and, call the, and call the police and say, I've got somebody in my house. You know? Well, if that's, it depends on what you have time for. That's if you fair. hear them smashing your front door and you're sleeping on the main level and they're heading towards your room, you may not have time to make that phone call first. You may have to call afterwards and say, I've had intruders. I've shot one of them. He's laying on the ground. Send nine, nine, call an ambulance. I need an ambulance right away. So, you know, you, you just need to be prepared. For Which, any situation. Yeah, if you have time, though, make that 911 call. Give them as much information as you possibly can while you're doing that. That's entirely true. And, uh, you know, whether it's a two-legged intruder, whether it's a four-legged intruder, you know, there's people, you know, there are black bears roaming around parts of uh, the city here, believe it or not. And there are deer all over the damn Yeah, place. well, the deer don't usually... Aren't usually offensive, you know. They're they're not usually going to be on the offensive. While bears looking for food can get aggressive, they will go places where they're not supposed to go. They will come into houses, into porches, into any room that's left open if they're there. And again, you could call nine one one. Say, you know, there's something, somebody, there's a creature in my house. Something. Have them be aware of the situation and let them know you are armed. Say, I have a gun. I'm sitting here in my bedroom. I'm not going to move until you get here unless the situation changes. And usually they will try and keep you on the line or keep that line open as long as they can. So then if they get there while you're still on the phone with the emergency operator, they can tell the officers who are responding, the homeowner's here. 
He's waiting for you, and you'll know that the officers are there too. They can communicate with you and the officers that are responding to the call if you can keep that line open. Now, granted, if you hear it and it seems like things are moving faster than that, first defend yourself, then worry about letting the police know. That would be my my advice in that particular situation. If you have time, by all means, make the call first. They may get there in time to take care of all the the wet work before you have to get down and get busy, (laughs) which would be the ideal situation because then you don't have to fill out as much paperwork. Yeehaw. (laughs) Yeah, you might have a bit of cleanup to do, but, hey, always better to clean up bad guys than clean up family members or yourself. (laughs) So, yeah, that is a good point, though. Always make it clear that if you are in an area where 911 can be there in a matter of a few minutes, make the call. Alert them as to the situation. Let them know what's going on. And definitely let them know that you are armed in the house also. And if you have a chance, tell them where you are and you're going to stay somewhere unless the situation changes, which most situations of home invasions are dynamic. Most of the guys don't want to invade a house where somebody's home. If they do and they're that bold, they're going to come looking for who's ever there. Because they don't want to have some wild card messing up their potential robbery. They want to. Let me add one other thing. Yeah, yeah, that, come on. Uh, uh, people don't necessarily think about, but uh, in my situation, my main alarm monitor is in my kitchen, and uh, there's a straight shot of looking through French doors that they can see the monitor, and the monitor. Oh, okay. I leave it where they can, I want them to see it. To know that the house is alarmed, yes. And that it's armed. And, uh, my monitor, if the, if I have armed it for the night, it's in red and it says armed. Right. So if they're looking through a window or they're getting to the house and they see that, that may be enough to discourage them from staying. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, they get in the house and the alarm goes off. Right. And, uh, and instantly calls the monitoring service and, uh. And they call law enforcement if they hear it's a real, you know, if they yeah. try and reach you and can't or, or you answer the phone and say, I'm being robbed, there's somebody here, they send the police immediately. Right. Yeah, so and that saves you from having to make the call initially. We're very fortunate in most areas of Atlanta, not all areas, but most areas of Atlanta, that uh, we have good response times. Oh yeah, very uh, good, yeah. Most 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 of the, the the local municipalities here have enough police officers to cover most of the areas, and the only time that would be an exception probably is if there's something else going on, like during a natural disaster or something where the police are have other things to do also. But usually in the area, uh, all but maybe downtown Atlanta, the response times are probably relatively short, and you can have officers to almost any place in the metro area within minutes. And when those flashing lights show up, yeah. somebody's in the house, they want to get the hell out. Right. They don't want to be there when the cop, they don't want to turn a potential burglary into a robbery into a hostage situation. They do not want to escalate that if possible. Most of the time, a lot of times, if someone's there for burglary, they just want to steal stuff. They don't even want you there. If they find out there's somebody there, that's when they'll usually just run. They're not usually going to stay if they're not counting if they're not counting on running into somebody or encountering a resistance, they'll take off if they realize there's any resistance there. You know, they used to, this house protected by S&W, Smith & Wesson. Right. And I always <laughs> thought that has to be about as stupid a sign as you can get. Hey, I have a Smith & Wesson pistol in my house. Yeah, I have guns in my house. Yeah. Come rob me. Yeah. <laughs> It's an invitation, open invitation. But, Same thing on a car. I try not to put any gun-related stickers on a car because that's just showing this guy may have a gun in his car. Let's go break his windows. Let's break into his car. You would do, you don't want to be the guy advertising that you have the weapon because it's a high-valued item. Well, you know, for all practical purposes, and this even relates to hunting, a weapon is really a surprise. If you're hunting, you want to surprise your, your game. Prey, your prey, yes. <laughs> whatever you have, if it's birds, if it's deer, whatever, you want to surprise them. And they don't know what, what the hell a rifle is. 
But in the same token, that's the same thing with somebody breaking into your house. Uh, you know, you turn the lights on and they see the shadow and there's a shadow with a arm and a pistol holding a pistol. That would be a good deterrent unless they're there for robbery, unless they're looking for somebody to get something out of you. Most most guys are, are burglars. They're not looking to rob somebody. They want burglary. They want to steal and get out. If they're there and they don't care if you're there and they still want in, be careful with where you shine lights. Be careful with what lights you turn on because you don't want to give away a position like that either. That's like someone was telling me, he has a flashlight on his gun. I'm going, well, that's great, but I hope you know how to turn it off very quickly because you don't want to leave the flashlight on while you're wandering around the house. Or somebody else will turn it off for you. Yeah, they will. They'll, they'll know exactly where to aim. Yeah. <laughs> like I say, you scan a room, you take one or two seconds, you scan the room, you shut the light off. You try not to leave the light on. You want to turn it on and off as you go to hit certain areas. Now, if you run into somebody while you're doing that, keep the light aimed in their face and do what you have to do. Either disappear, get out of the room, or make the shot. You know, or make a threat first if you can. If you think they're just there for burglary, make the threat. Say, get out or I'm going to shoot you. It's always better to threaten and not have to do the cleanup work. At least I hope so. And the paperwork that follows. That's right. You don't want to get into that if you can help. But it's just every bullet has a lawyer attached to it. Once you fire a bullet, every bullet fired in a civilian situation has a a lawyer attached to it. So that's something you want to be aware of, be careful of, and know your house. Can you get around your house in the in the in the condition it's in when the lights are out at night when you go to sleep at night? Can you get around your house? Do you know where the stairs are? Do you know where the carpets come to the edge of? Do you know where you know which doors are closed and open? Can you walk through stuff without having to have run into it? You know, do you know where the corners are to get around? That's stuff that you need to know. I mean, say when you go in at night, shut all the lights off. See if you can walk from your living room to your bedroom without tripping over things or running into things. I can't do that with my lights on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you you need training during the day first then, I guess. Yeah. My house is a booby trap. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, like a bra. A booby trap. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's just simple things to know, but it's just... Everybody thinks they're just going to grab their gun and go, and they don't think about, are you going to be able to see? Do you know your way around your house well enough? I mean, do you have family members in the house? If you shoot through walls, are you going to be shooting into your kid's room? You know, there's all kinds of factors to consider, and you need a plan. That's very important is have a plan. You know, if everybody's, if you're with young kids, chances of them being outside the house when something were to happen, very slim. If you have older kids, Chances are they could be out of the house, but you don't know whether they're home or not, you know, unless you listen for them and you know they're entering the house or you think it's that. So something to consider. Excuse me. But, yeah, I mean, have a plan. Know who's there. If someone's in another room, you have to have a plan to go get them. Go rescue them, basically, and make sure they know. If you, uh, you know, I guess you could have code words and stuff to keep people quiet until you get to them. Because otherwise, you yell, you start yelling for your kids in a dark house with an intruder in the house. That's going to just turn things from dangerous to ridiculously dangerous over in just a, a matter of seconds. Because if they're there and they know you're there and they don't care. They're going to go for whatever advantage they can get because these are criminals. Let's not forget, criminals do things that are criminal. They commit crimes. They break laws. That's why they're criminals. So they don't care if they take somebody hostage who they shouldn't. If you have somebody sleeping in another room or you have kids in the house, are they going to know what to do when something happens? Have you instructed them? Should they stay there? Do they come to you? Do they listen for some kind of command from you? Have a plan. Let them know. If you can figure out where the intruder is, then decide what commands you want to give anybody else in the house. Whether it's stay where you are, get under your bed, something, you know, no. Or no, if he yells at you something, stay where you are, that means hide in the closet. You know, or you hide under the bed. You stay somewhere where you won't be in plain sight if someone were to come into the room. You know, take precautions. If he says, come to my voice, then you go where he would be because that means somebody may be outside and you want to get your whole family together so you know that nobody in the house now is a threat who's not. If they're not with you, then they're the threat. 
So just, you know, you have to, I mean, it sounds silly, but you might need code words. You might need certain phrases that you want to use to make sure everyone in your house is safe, especially, you know, when you're not alone, it just, it just complicates things tremendously because you have to count on other people's ability to stay calm in a crisis also and count on your ability to function in a crisis. So that's something to consider also. Make sure you know where everybody is. Make sure they know what to do. Make sure you know what to do. And ideally, if you have a chance, have an escape route. If you know somebody broke into your basement and you can get out of the house and get into a car, that would seem like the easiest way for your family to avoid some sort of you know, complicated situation. However, if you're doing that, remember a lot of these robbery and burglary people do not work alone. So if you're going outside with your family, make sure you're not going to run into somebody who's going to keep you from leaving or try and stop you from doing what you need to do. It's just, you know, there's so many factors to consider and consider all of them as often as you can. So you can kind of think through the scenario. So when it happens, you'll be better prepared to deal with it. Now I did promise before we left, I was going to get to the final weapon that you should add to your basic, basic collection. And that's going to be a rifle. In fact, in the Marine Corps, they say you use your pistol to fight your way to your rifle if your rifle isn't with you because the rifle is a primary weapon. Now, most people, their pistol is their primary weapon, especially in um, urban environments because the rifle is just a little more awkward to use. It requires two hands, same as a shotgun. Usually a shotgun is not going to be a primary defense weapon in a situation in an urban environment because you've got other houses. You don't want to shoot through walls. You don't want to have stray bullets flying around. Same same thing with a rifle. Much more powerful cartridge, able to cut through walls a lot easier than any pistol cartridge would. And this becomes a bigger issue. Now, if you live in a suburban or a, um, a I guess a country environment, then your pre- then your intruders, your predators may not be of the two-legged variety. You may have to deal with wild pigs. You may have to deal with bears. You may have to deal with badgers. I don't know. Whatever may be the possible threat in your neighborhood, and it may be outside the house. And in that case, you want to have the extended range of a rifle. You want to be able to have, you want to be able to keep distance between you and any potential threat. And one way to keep distance is to have a weapon that can reach out and close that distance accurately. And people ask you, what kind of rifle? Well, in an urban environment, I would say something in a pistol caliber carbine would be probably one of my number one choices. Either a nine millimeter, 40 cal, 45 in a carbine configuration. Because they can be maneuvered well. You can fire without shooting through too many walls. But if you want to get into a true rifle, I would say an AR-15 is probably would be one of your number one choices. It's semi-automatic. It fires quickly. The cartridge is effective. Accessories for it are numerous. And it's a very easy weapon to learn how to use. It's very easy to learn how to maintain. These make a difference. And they're very universal as far as accessories, additional parts, repair parts, all these are readily available on this particular weapon. And right now, like I said, prices are low. They're falling down. You've got weapons for under $400 now in AR-15 configuration. Now, again, once you get an AR-15, though, a lot of them come without standard sights on them. So you're going to need to put some sort of optic. You're going to need to have to put some sort of iron sights. You're going to have to have some way to aim that particular weapon. And that will be in addition to the weapon itself if it comes without those things. So consider that. But also, you consider the range of a standard 5.56 cartridge is out to almost 500 yards or beyond. That gives you an extended range that you do not have with your pistol. Now, hopefully, you'll never run into a situation where you need that. But if you did, the, the rifle serves its purpose. It is different purpose than the pistol or the shotgun. And... But, you know, if I can add my two cents worth too. Sure. Uh, it's like everything else. You don't just run out the door shooting. Uh, <laughs> Unless you're Joe Biden and just <laughs> pop a couple rounds off the back porch, he said, I think, yeah. something like that. But, you know, it's if you're going to have a weapon and carry it or, or a rifle that you can uh, play the rifleman with, you need to know your surrounding. If I'm facing this way, 
I got a house directly across the street from me. If I'm facing that way, there's nothing in between me and a long ways off. That's one of the four rules of shooting anything. Know your target and what's behind it. Because if you miss or there's no backstop, what are you going to hit? Make sure you're clear for what's behind the target in case you don't hit your target. Are you going to hit somebody else? Are you going to hit somebody else's house? Something to always be aware of. That's one of the four rules. You know, treat every gun as it's loaded. Beware of your target and its backstop. Keep your finger off the trigger until you're ready to shoot. Do not aim your gun at anything you don't intend to destroy. Always know those and be aware of your backstop. That's one of the four rules. So know those before getting intimate with any firearm. That would be very important. So be aware of that. And it should be night and day, too, you know, because it's not going to change from day to night. Yeah, if you just because you can't see it at night doesn't mean it's not there. (laughs) So know where your directions are, know where your neighbors are, and be aware of that. Now, granted, inside your house with a rifle is a little riskier because even if you hit a perpetrator, if the bullet doesn't stop inside them, it's traveling on and it's going through walls. It's traveling through drywall for sure, maybe even through brick. You never know. Something you have to be aware of and be careful of. Rifle is not, in an urban environment, a rifle is not necessarily the best self-defense weapon because of the fact it is more powerful. It can travel through walls. It can go through countertops, things like that. Now, granted, if if by all, by all other means fail, your pistol, your shotgun are not available, you don't have them nearby, they fail to stop the threat, and you have to escalate things to the rifle, You have to just be extremely careful of your target and its backstop. And even if you hit your target, whatever it goes through, if it goes through a target, you don't want to have it, something behind it that can be damaged, hurt, or killed. You know, one last thing is that you obviously want to be as well-trained as you can be. Right, absolutely. But, But it always helps. That if you have a spouse or someone else living with you, that they are trained as well. Right. And that you have communicated, if this, then that. Right. That have a plan. Yep. That's what I say. you got to have a plan. You know, I mean, and people don't think about it until it happens. They say, oh, I'm just going to grab my gun. It's like, then what? Well, then I'm going to go and look for him. I go, where? What are you going to do with the wife who's still in the bedroom? What about your kid who's down the hall? I mean, what are you going to do with all... What are you planning for them? <laughs> you know, it's just, it's not something you normally think about, I guess. Now, most families, I guess, moms and dads would think about their kids first, and they should have some sort of plan, even though when something like this, if anything like this were to happen, it would be a complete surprise, and plans tend to go out the window when chaos ensues. <laughs> but you have to have a plan. You have to have a backup plan. You have to have a contingency plan, and you need an emergency plan. <laughs> and... And you need to talk to your children and make sure they understand what you're talking about. Right. You can, like I say, when you yell up to them, say, stay where you are. They should know. That means get under the bed, hide in the closet, stay low to the ground, whatever. They should know stay where you are means do not come running down the stairs and go, why? What's going on? <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, with that being said... We're going to have to plan on you being here next week. Uh, I believe so, yeah. And uh, we'll have On Point with Victor preceding you next week. Oh, yeah. Victor will be back from his business trip. Yes. And uh, as always, Roger, it's uh, been a great show, and you bring so much to the table. It's been an honor to be here. Okay. There we go. Yes. (laughs) My honor. No, it's uh, it's a pleasure and always a pleasure having you. And I hope that uh, as people are listening to the show, they're taking notes and whether they're legal on a legal pad or wherever, but they're if they're in their head, that they'll write them down and not forget them. And I guess the one thing out of there's one word I'd put to your show. Okay. Practice. Yes, that's indeed. And plan. Practice and plan. There you go. That's all you need. And one thing I just thought about, if you have a pet, 
who's not easily controlled, having a leash in the room where the pet sleeps or having a leash with you to be able to get control of your dog would be something you'd want to consider also. Because dogs don't always follow commands like they're supposed to. <laughs> Especially when the noise strikes up. Right. They tend to want to be the first responder. <laughs> okay. We'll be back next week with more of Locked and Loaded. All right. And Thanks, Dave. We appreciate it. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.